Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching this video or listening to this on our podcast. Uh, if that's the way that you're going to be listening in this morning. I know this is a little bit different, obviously, than what we normally do. Even for those of you that stay home and watch normally uh, from the house rather than coming in person, this setup is a little bit different. And we wanted to make it look a little bit different because this morning, for obvious reasons, is quite different than an average Sunday. Um, I know with all the weather outside, first off, I hope that everybody's been safe. Hopefully you're in your home. I think it's safe to say if you've looked outside this morning, it was a good decision to decide not to have in-person services. And I'm just really thankful, and we really are so blessed to be able to do a video and to have the technology to put this on our website now, as well as on Facebook. So thank you so much for tuning in and watching or listening this morning. You know, last week, um, we had Vision Sunday and there was a lot of, hopefully there was a lot of hype about Vision Sunday and what we're going to be doing here and specifically what the mission is going to be for Westside Baptist Church. Last week I talked about how, you know, God has called this church to make a difference. And then we really clarified, what is that difference? What is the difference that we are called to make? If you didn't get to watch that video, I would encourage you and even ask you to please go and watch it or listen on our podcast. It is going to be pivotal for us going forward as a church as really I laid out the mission and what it's going to look like uh, for us to, to make a difference here in our area and around the world as well. And specifically, I was going to do a five-week sermon series kind of piggybacking off of Vision Sunday, but... The weather and doing all this really changed that. And so I decided it wouldn't be good to just continue doing our vision series or our mission series. And so I do something a little bit different. Um, now, while I'm going to be doing something different, I didn't want to completely leave the idea of our mission and what God has called us to do. But considering yesterday afternoon is whenever I had to decide to do something different for this morning, um, I'm going to hopefully have a message from the Old Testament that's going to really tie in to our mission and what God has called us to do this morning. Specifically, as I thought about what could I talk about this morning, um, I began to think about speaking of Vision Sunday and our 40-year anniversary as a church, and this word legacy just continued to come up in my mind of how our, our church has a 40-year legacy already of what God has done here, but as we continue to go in the future, we're continuing to build our legacy and leave a legacy for the people that are behind us. So our church has a legacy, but the legacy of the church really is built on individual people who leave a legacy for the people who are behind them. And remember, I had somebody tell me the very first time I had a full-time ministry position to treat that position like I was the interim. So whenever I became a college pastor, he said, Merrick, recognize there will be a point whenever you no longer are the college pastor here. So treat it like you're an interim. Live in such a way, set it up in such a way for the success of those who are behind you. You know, and really that's the truth even in my position here. Even if I'm here for 40 or 50 years, at some point I will not be the lead pastor at Westside Baptist Church. And all that we are doing here is we're leaving a legacy for the people who are behind us to be able to pass it on to them so that they might live for Christ as well. And so as I began to think about this, really the question came up in my mind of how can we leave a legacy that lasts? You know, I think everybody wants to leave a legacy. Those who maybe don't think about their legacy anymore are probably those who feel like they've tarnished their legacy or, or they, they really can't recover from what they've done in their life, which isn't true. But all of us in some way, we want to leave a legacy for those who are behind us, our kids or, or at our workplace or whatever it might be. We all want to leave a legacy that lasts. But the counter side of that is how do we actually do that? 
right? If I were to ask you, what are your great-great-grandparents' names, the majority of you would not know who that is. Even if you did know their names, you wouldn't know much about what they did. And the truth of life is people forget, right? You're here for a short amount of time, and then whenever you're gone, most often we don't really seem to make a difference that ripples very far. And now while that might sound morbid, I, I, I want to think about how, how can we actually leave a legacy that lasts? Is that even a possibility? And it is. And so that's the question we're going to look at this morning. How can we leave a legacy that lasts? How can we leave a legacy that lasts as a church? But even more specifically, how can we leave a legacy that lasts as individuals? And so we're going to dive in this morning and do that. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again this morning for technology. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity that, that even though we aren't in person this morning, we're able to make a video and be able to, to put it out there so that our people might listen. Lord, I pray this morning that we are encouraged by the message. I pray that we are challenged by the message. Lord, I pray that as we look at our legacy and living a legacy that lasts, Lord, please just speak to us this morning. God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Lord, give us hearts to accept what you have for us this morning. Lord, we ask all this in your precious and your holy son's name. Amen. Well, if you would, uh, I hope that you have a Bible with you this morning. If you would, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And I want to say on the front end, uh, Braden was going to set up some things for me this morning, so we might have a TV and we could have scriptures and we could have points on it. But obviously that would be really difficult to do uh, with everything that we're trying to do this morning. So I hope that you have a copy of God's Word for you. You know I'm going to have points for you, plenty of points. There's always plenty of points. But this morning we're going to be looking through 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And specifically, we're going to look at a story with David and Solomon. And this is a story I remember reading years ago that really affected me one time in my quiet times. And it stayed with me for this long. And I've actually taught on this lesson in some capacity before. But we're going to be looking at really towards the end of David's life and one specific thing that he did before he passed on the kingship to his son and also before he passed away. But to understand what's going on in 1 Chronicles 22, we need to recognize one backstory in particular. You see, in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, David was getting towards the end of his life. David had done so many things. He had expanded the kingdom. And really, he had seen so much victory in his life. But 1 Chronicles 17, it's, it's kind of an interesting story where it seems like David is just hanging out in the palace. And he looks out of a window and sees the tent where the Ark of the Covenant was. And he thought to himself, I live in this grandiose house. And yet the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God with us, it's outside in a tent. And he tells the prophet Nathan, who's with him, I'm going to build a house for the Lord. I'm going to build God a temple. And Nathan said, go and do what God has put on your heart. Well, that very night, God actually came to the prophet Nathan and told him, go tell David he is not going to build the house for me. You see, David has shed too much blood. He's been a man of war for me, and he's not going to build the house of God for me. But his son is going to. His son, Solomon, I'm going to, to use him to build a house for me and for my name. And so Nathan went and he told the prophet David. I mean, and the prophet Nathan went and told David this. And David heard him, understood. Now, if you fast forward, you get to 1 Chronicles 22. A few events happen between chapter 17 and 22. Honestly, some that David probably would rather forget. Some of his failures are laid out in those chapters. But in 1 Chronicles 22, we see David is towards the very end of his life. Chapters 22 through 29 chronicle some of his last actions before he passed away. And in chapter 22, we see where he actually gets to a point where he's ready to tell Solomon what God has told him. He's ready to pass on what God has put on his heart to do. 
And so this morning we're going to walk through 1 Chronicles 22, the first 16 verses. And I just want to show you three actions that David takes and how it will correspond with legacy and leaving a lasting legacy. So let's begin in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 2 through 5. And it says this, David commanded to gather together the resident aliens, aliens meaning people who weren't naturally Jewish, to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails, for the doors of the gates and for clamps, as well as bronze and quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number. For the Sidonians and Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar, of cedar to David. And so the first action that we actually see here is we see David preparing the way for Solomon. David is preparing the way for Solomon. You see, David, he's at the end of his life. He knows he's not supposed to build the temple, but you notice what all he's doing. He is gathering a workforce to build the temple. He's gathering supplies to build the temple. In other words, he's preparing everything in order to build the temple for God. He knows that he's not the one to build the house of God, but he's preparing the way for Solomon who's behind him. You all think there's a lot of wisdom in this. One, David is at the very end of his life, but he recognized that he still had a work to do. It doesn't matter how old you are or, or how close you are to whether you're, you're, you're not going to be here anymore. As long as you are here, God has a plan for you. He has a work for you to do. And David recognized this, and he began to start the work for Solomon. In verse 5, we actually see why David began to do this. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. Of fame and glory throughout all lands, I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. So right here we see the reason why David began doing all these things. The first thing that he says is that Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. You know, I've heard that whenever Solomon became king, he most likely was 20 years old or a little bit younger. So this was, we don't know how far before he actually became king that David gave this to him, but most likely he was a teenager whenever David was about to hand off the keys to the great kingdom that God had used him to build. He was going to give it to a teenager. And he recognized that Solomon, his son, was young and he was inexperienced. And so he began to prepare the way for him. But he also recognized something else. If you notice in verse 5, he doesn't just say, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. But he also says, the work, the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all the land. You see, David recognized that the, the task of building the house for the Lord was a massive undertaking. This was to be done for the glory of God, for his fame throughout all the lands. This work was exceedingly magnificent. And so he says, because of that, I'm going to make preparations for it. You see, David recognized to do the work of the Lord, you were representing God. To build a house for God, this was to be for his fame and for his glory throughout all the lands. This wasn't about Solomon. This wasn't about Israel even specifically. This was about God getting the glory that he deserved. And this is the goal of really all work that we do for God. It's for him to ultimately get the glory. You know, numerous years ago, I heard a story about um, a guy named Adrian Rogers. I'm sure many, if not most of you, have probably heard about Adrian Rogers. You've probably listened to some sermons by him. Maybe you've read some books about him. But he was an incredible pastor, speaker, author uh, during the 1900s. 
and what God did through him at a church in Memphis really is just incredible. And I can remember growing up and actually hearing uh, Adrian Rogers on the TV. I remember my mom being so encouraged by his sermons. Anyway, he, he was an incredible man who did some great things for God. Remember, I heard a story about him, though. The very last conference that he ever spoke at, he was brought to this conference as a, as a keynote speaker. And before he got up to actually preach, a guy got up and began to introduce him. And of course, he starts off by saying, you know, Adrian Rogers, who needs no introduction, he, who did all of these wonderful things. Let me explain to you some of what God has done in his life. And he begins to talk about all the accomplishments that Adrian Rogers had done. He began to tell about all the things that God had done through Adrian Rogers. And I mean, just goes through this long list of stuff. Whenever he gets to the end, he says, I want to present to you for the last time, Adrian Rogers. And it said, as Adrian Rogers came on the stage, everybody in the, in the sanctuary, 3,000, 2,000, 3,000 people, I can't remember fully, but it was multiple thousands of people, stand up and they begin applauding. Adrian Rogers, and this great man of God and what God had done through him. And supposedly the applause just continued. People are standing up. They are, they are applauding this work that this guy has done. Well, finally, Adrian Rogers gets them to quiet down. And whenever he does quiet them down, he says this. He says, whenever Jesus rode into Jerusalem and people were laying down the palm branches, nobody was clapping for the donkey. Nobody clapped for the donkey whenever Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Rather, they were clapping for the Savior and the Lord who was on top of the donkey. He said, I've been just a donkey. My goal in life is not for me to get the applause. It's just to carry the message of Jesus as far as I can, as long as he has me here. Now, one of the things that Agent Rogers recognized, and if you read more about his story, there are times in his life whenever he really struggled with pride. But he recognized that what he got to do was for the glory of God, and it was for God's glory alone. He knew that he wasn't going to live forever, but he knew that God would. He knew the legacy that he was going to leave would. And he made sure people recognized that it wasn't about his glory, but it was about God's. This is the whole point that David's trying to make here. Is building the house for the Lord is for God's glory. To do this for God, it must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all of the lands. And so David says, I'm going to prepare the way for my son. You know, Psalm 115.1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. This is what we do the work of the Lord for, so that he might get glory. You know, one of the neatest parts before I end this first point is that David prepares the way for Solomon, even though David was never going to see the fruit of this. I think it's really interesting to see all that David is doing, yet David's never going to see the first nail be driven into stone, the first nail be driven into whatever there is they're, they're doing and building. He's not going to see the beginning of the work or the finished work. He's not going to see the fruit of it, but he's preparing the way for his son. And y'all, this is the truth for us as well. We must prepare the way for those who are behind us if we want to leave a legacy that lasts. So we see David prepares the way for Solomon first off. The second thing that we see, though, is that David passes on the charge to Solomon. He prepares the way, and then he passes on the charge to do the work to Solomon. Look at verses 6 through 10. It says this, Then he called for Solomon his son, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. 
I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So we see first, David prepares the way for Solomon. He gets materials of great quantity. He gets this workforce because he recognizes his son is young and inexperienced, and this work is exceedingly magnificent for fame and glory throughout all the land. And now he calls his son to him. And I love how it just says in verse 6, he charges his son to do the work. And notice the way that he did this. David tells Solomon how this even came about. David says, I had it in my heart to do this myself, but God told me no. But God has chosen you to do the work. God has chosen you to be the one to build the house for him. You know, and David then shares really just his encounter with God. And y'all, this is really neat to think about of a dad sharing with his son. This is how God has spoken to me. This is what God has said to me. And I want to make sure you understand. David could have easily just said, Solomon, look at everything that I've gotten prepared for you. And now you can go and build. But he doesn't say that. He says, I've got all this prepared for you, but I want, to know you the, I want you to know the reason why we are doing this. I want you to know the reason why you are the one to do this work is that God has chosen you to do it. I think it's interesting that David wants to make sure that Solomon understands that he had an experience with God. He wants, him, he wants Solomon to understand that God is the one who has chosen him. I want you to think about being Solomon. You know, being a teenager, about to become king, this work is being put out in front of you. What kind of comfort would this give you to hear that God is the one who's chosen you to do the work? God is the one who's called you to do this. Even more so, what volumes does it speak for your dad to say, this is God's doing, not my doing. This is God's work, not my work that he's given to you. You know, I think one of the biggest things that we struggle with You know, we talk about evangelism. Yeah, we struggle with evangelism. But one of the biggest things we struggle with is, I think, just talking about God in general. So few times do we really just talk about God in normal conversation. So rarely does it seem like parents will just talk to their kids about God and their experiences with God and pass on what God has done in their life. Now, I know God has done many things in your life. God has done many things in my life. But are we actually communicating that to the people around us or communicating that to our kids or to our friends or to people that we would pass this on to. This is one of the neatest things we see David doing is he's passing on his encounter with the Lord to his son. You know, I remember several years back, I think it was 2010, something along that area. My mom told me that my papa, who had really been struggling with his memory, had began several years prior to write down some of his memories that he might pass it on to his grandkids. Now, I'm really close to my papa. Before he passed away, he was by far my closest grandparent. I just, he and I just bonded, to say the least. And so this meant a lot to me to think that, that papa wanted to leave something behind for me, but also the other 20-plus grandkids that he had, and the great-grandkids past that. Well, he was suffering with some aspects of dementia or Alzheimer's. I know that those two can sometimes be a combo together, but he was struggling with Alzheimer's badly and he was forgetting his memory. And so my mom and some of her siblings went over and just asked him to tell them stories and they would type it up for him. Well, they got about 14 pages in before um, he ended up not being able to recall anything else from memory. But that document was then uh, given out to all of his grandkids. And y'all, I can remember getting this document and how much it meant to me even being a college student, getting this from my grandfather. And so I got it, and I remember reading it and and recounting from the very beginning. He tells a little bit about his parents and grandparents and kind of giving us a lineage from the mid-1700s up until his life. 
Well, then from there, he begins talking about his childhood. And before he really gets into any stories, the first thing he wants to tell us about is how he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And, y'all, I can recount it so vividly. And the way that he even describes it is just moving to me. He was at this camp in a little place called Chatham, Louisiana. And he's at this camp, and there are several nights of Bible study and prayer and, and God preaching to them. I love one of the things he says in it is he says people there weren't scholars. They, weren't, they didn't have a lot of worldly wisdom, but they knew their Bible. They lived it, and they taught it to us. And he said the very last night of that camp, after the final sermon, after the final service, they all went back to their dorm. And he began to describe the event that took place. He says it was dark. Everybody was in their bed trying to go to sleep. But it just felt like the Spirit was working where they were at. He said, all of a sudden you heard somebody hit the floor on their knees and begin praying. And he said, you heard somebody else get out of their bed. And then somebody else. And he said, before I knew it, I recognized that Jesus died for my sins. Jesus was the one who I was called to live for. And he said, I got down on my face that night and I gave my life to Jesus. And he even said there, my life hasn't been perfect, but I've lived out my convictions to live for Jesus and to make a difference for him. You know what that did for me? Whenever I first got this, I actually was yet a believer I didn't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And passing on that simple story to me was massive. And then he ends all of that by saying, if you're reading this and you don't know Jesus and you want to make a difference, this is the way. You have to know Jesus. Y'all, sharing the encounters that we have had with God, sharing the experiences that we have had with God, sharing the ways that God has worked in our life is one of the primary ways we give glory to Him. It's one of the primary ways that we can pass on to our kids or to other people what it is God has done for us and help them recognize as well, God is real. The work for him is exceedingly magnificent and God is with us and he will work with us. David prepares the way for Solomon and then David passes on the charge to Solomon as well and we must do likewise to those around us. The third thing that we see, the third and final thing, is that David doesn't just prepare the way and pass on the charge. He also provides kind of a paradigm. He provides keys for success. He provides the keys for success. You see, you look at the work that he's prepared, and then he's passed this on to him. And I'm sure some ways it was encouraging to hear that God has chosen him. But in some ways, I feel like I would have felt the pressure of that. You know, how could Solomon accomplish this grand work? How could Solomon do this exceedingly magnificent work that was to be for the glory of God, for his fame throughout all lands? How would he actually accomplish this? Well, David actually tells him how. And over the next few verses, he, breaks, he basically breaks it down into just four keys for success. First, in verse 11, he says, you need the Lord's help if you want to do this. Verse 11, he says this, now, my son. The Lord be with you so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he has spoken concerning you. The Lord be with you so that you may succeed. He says, Solomon, number one, I'm passing this on to you. I'm giving you the key. The first key is you need to recognize you need the Lord's help. You cannot do God's work by yourself. You don't have the strength to do that. You need the Lord to help you and to guide you. And with him, you will succeed. The second thing we see him say is not that you just you need his help. He also says you need wisdom and understanding in order to complete the mission of God. Look at verse 12. He says, only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. He says you need the Lord's help. Then he says you need the wisdom and understanding that come from the world. 
Notice what he doesn't say. You need this worldly wisdom if you're going to do this well. You need to recognize and learn all these other things if you're going to do this well. No, he says you need wisdom and understanding from God's word that you might complete the work that God has given you. You know, I think with Solomon, and to me one of the, one of the neatest things about this whole story is Solomon has an experience in his life that we see nowhere else in Scripture. I mean, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, literally we see one of the more interesting things that happens. Solomon has just become king. He's began his reign as the king of Israel, and he's begun to do a few things. And he starts off by really elevating the Lord and the Lord's name, by sacrificing to God and beginning his reign that way. But very early on in his reign, we see this interesting story. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, And that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. This is a request like no other in Scripture. God comes to Solomon and he literally says, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. Now think about this. Solomon was probably 20 years old when he became king. What do you think a 20-year-old would ask for for success? What do you think a 20-year-old would think? I'm a king over this vast empire, over this vast nation that God used my dad to make. What do I need to succeed? Ask anything and I'll give it to you. Look at verse 8 and following. It says, And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. And look at what he says. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? You see that? Like, isn't it incredible that a 20-year-old from God asks whatever you want and it will be given to you? And he says, I need wisdom and understanding. Where do you think Solomon got that idea? Where do you think Solomon recognized this was a great need for him was wisdom and understanding? He got it from his dad. His dad said, if you want to succeed, you need God's help. But secondly, you need wisdom and understanding from God. And when the opportunity arose, Solomon said, God, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. And notice what happened. Verse 11, God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions or wealth or honor or the life of those who hate you, and have not asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who ever were before you and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon asked God for wisdom and for understanding, and God granted him that request. You need the Lord's help. You need wisdom and understanding from God. And then third, he says you need to be obedient as well. Look at verse 13. He says, then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. He says, you need the Lord's help. You need wisdom and understanding from God. And now he moves to your responsibility. He says, you need to be obedient. You need to be obedient. Just because you're king over this vast empire, just because I've had all these preparations, just because you have a massive workforce doesn't mean the work is going to get done. You will be blessed if you obey God. One of my favorite uh, sayings that I've ever heard was by Robert Murray McShane. And he simply says, it isn't great talents that God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. 
In other words, it isn't great talent God blesses so much as those who are obedient. Y'all, God blesses obedience. And this is what David passes on to him. You need God's help. You need wisdom and understanding, and you must obey God in every way. And if you do, he will help you prosper. Then we see the fourth and the final thing he says to him is you need to be courageous. Look at the end of verse 13. He says, be strong and courageous. Fear not, do not be dismayed. Be strong and courageous. Fear not, do not be dismayed. Y'all, once again, can you imagine being Solomon? You're most likely a, a teenager during this conversation. And you hear David, the great warrior, the great king. I mean, this guy's a legend. His name is known all throughout the known world. And yet he's passing on this baton to his son. Can you imagine being Solomon and feeling the weight of how big this role is, feeling the weight of how big this task is, not just to build the house for God, but also to lead all of these people. Can you imagine how he probably felt? Well, I'm guessing is David probably saw how he felt in his face. And so he chose to end this by saying, be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. You know, David is able to say this to Solomon because David understood if God is on your side, you have nothing to fear. If God is on your side, it doesn't matter who is against you. Be courageous. This sounds a lot like what Moses says to Joshua in the same way. Be strong and be courageous. If God is on your side, you don't have anything to fear. David wanted him to know where his strength came from. Y'all, this is awesome to really think about. David doesn't say, hey, Solomon, your strength comes from financial stability. Hey, Solomon, your strength comes from career success. Hey, Solomon, your strength comes from worldly possessions. He doesn't give him any of that. He says, your strength, your success, your path is determined by God. Are you spending time with God? If you are with him, you will succeed. If you obey him, you will succeed. The Lord is on your side. And Solomon finishes all of this, preparing the way, passing on the charge with giving him the keys to success, which simply are the Lord is with you. You need the Lord's help. You need wisdom and understanding from the Lord. And you need to be obedient and you need to be courageous, recognizing that God is with you and God is on your side. David prepares the way, David passes on the charge, and he provides the keys for success. And let's look at how this story ends, verses 14 through 16. David says, With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it. Timber and stone, too, I have provided. To these you must add. You have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work, the Lord be with you. Arise and work, the Lord be with you. I love the way he ends this whole thing of saying, it is time. Get up and work. Arise and work, the Lord is with you. Y'all, what's neat is if you read over into Second Chronicles, a few chapters in, you see that Solomon does arise and work whenever he becomes king. He does build a house for the Lord. It is exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all of the lands. And he accomplishes what David gave him to do. And so the first question is, well, how did he do it? Well, he was obedient to the Lord, at least in the first part of his life. He was obedient to the Lord and he lived for the Lord and God blessed him. But the main question I want to ask with that is, why did he do it? 
Why did Solomon build the house? Why was that his first priority whenever he became king over Israel? It was because his dad, who was the current king, commissioned him. The king commissioned him to do the work, and he did it. You know, in the same way that Solomon was commissioned by the king, you and I have been commissioned by the king. In the same way that David prepared the way, passed on the charge, and provided the keys for success, Jesus has done the very same thing for us. If you go over to the Great Commission, you'll see this. You see, first off, Jesus wants to tell his disciples that he has prepared the way for them. Matthew 28, verse 18. Or, yes, Matthew 28, verse 18 says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, what's he saying? I've prepared the way. I'm Lord over all. I've accomplished what I have come to do, and all authority is mine. I've prepared the way for you. But he doesn't just say that. He also says, I'm passing on the charge. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The charge is then passed on to his disciples. He says, I've prepared the way for you. Now I'm passing on the charge. Go and make disciples. And then he ends all of it by saying, I'm providing the keys for success as well. Go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. I've given you the way to make disciples. Just go and do it. And he ends by saying, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The key to success for Solomon was that God would be with him. Jesus says the key to success for you is I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Even more so, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit soon. Very beginning of Acts, we see he sends the Holy Spirit. And once the disciples get that, the movement starts of making disciples throughout all of the world. Like Solomon, and he was called to arise and do the work. This is our job as well. God has prepared the way, passed on the charge, and provided the keys to success. For us, it's time to arise and work because God is with us. And because it's God's work, this is a grand and magnificent work. Because it is God's work, this is for his fame and for his glory. Going back to the very first question that I asked this morning is how can we leave a legacy that lasts? How can we leave a legacy that lasts? There's only one way to leave one that lasts and that matters. It's we build our legacy on his name, not our own. We build our legacy on something that's indestructible. That's Jesus and his church. He says himself, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He is forever. Jesus' name is forever. You know, 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago, 100 years ago, people were talking about Jesus and Jesus' name still remains. While we don't know the vast majority of all those people's names, Jesus still continues. If you want to leave a legacy that lasts, leave the only legacy that truly can last. Live for Jesus. Make his name known. Make the final thing he called us to do the first priority of his life. Ultimately, if we want to leave a legacy that lasts, we must continue to advance the legacy of Jesus. It is only his name that will last to the end. Y'all bringing this back to last week into our mission statement. Westside Baptist Church exists. We are here to make disciples by helping people know, follow, and serve Jesus here and around the world. That's the commission from God to us. And we're going to make his final words our first priority. We want to do that here. And y'all, we're going to begin uh, really discussing more of the Great Commission. And really, what does this really mean? How do we really break down this idea? We'll do that over the next several weeks. But this morning, what I want to turn your attention to is to the keys for success that David gave to Solomon. 
Those keys for success are the exact same today as they were back then. If we want to leave a legacy for Christ, it begins with us individually living for Christ. And so I want you to think through those four things that that David gave to Solomon. And I want you to ask the questions to yourself. The first question is this. Do you recognize your need for Jesus? David started by saying you need Jesus in your life. You need him to help you. Do you recognize your need for Jesus? You know, I would say an easy answer for that is what does your prayer life look like? Whenever you feel need, you run to something. Whenever a Christian feels that they really need something, they should run to God in prayer. If your prayer life isn't strong, my guess is you don't recognize your need. You know, this is the truth for me. In the times that are most difficult for me, where difficult decisions have to be made, or, or I'm going through difficult circumstances, or I'm put in a position here, You know, the last seven months, my prayer life has been stronger than it's ever been because I recognize my need. Talking about wisdom and understanding, I recognize my need to try and lead well. I need Jesus. But I notice whenever my prayer life isn't strong, it's because I don't recognize the need. Do you recognize that you need Jesus in order to live for Him? We can't do this on our own strength. And the good news is that we don't have to. Jesus says, I'm with you. Do you recognize your need? The second question is, do you recognize your need for wisdom and understanding? The easy way to answer that is, how much time do you spend in God's Word? You see, while your prayer life will show how much you really think that you need God and recognize your need for God, your time in God's Word will recognize, do you really understand your need for wisdom and knowledge from God? If you're not in God's Word often, you don't recognize your need to understand and live wisely. God's Word is our manual for living. You know, maybe this morning you need to look at your prayer life and spending time in God's Word and just cry out to the Lord, recognizing you need Him, expressing that to Him. Maybe you need to go to God's Word and get more of a plan of how am I going to be in God's Word to live wisely and to live for Him in order to leave a legacy that ultimately is going to last. Ask Him for wisdom and understanding and then spend time with Him in His Word in order to get it. The third question is, are you seeking obedience in every area of your life? That's the third thing that David told Solomon. Be obedient. If you are obedient, then God will be with you. You will prosper. And you know, my question for you this morning is, are you being obedient? Are you being obedient? Really, an easy answer to see for us is, when was the last time you genuinely repented to the Lord? When was the last time you really came before God and, and, and repented and said, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to turn from this. Or God, I need your help in this. Repentance is really a litmus test for our obedience. If we're not repenting much, then we obviously think we're obeying quite well. And if we understand what the scripture tells us, there's always areas for us to grow. Your repentance is not just a one-time event in a believer's life. It's an everyday thing of saying, God, what in me needs to go today? And so in what areas do you need to repent this morning? How do you need to be obedient to the Lord? Are you seeking obedience in every area of your life? God blesses obedience. The fourth and final question is, are you living out your faith courageously? Are you living out your faith courageously? I would say an easy way to answer this is, when was the last time you were uncomfortable in living for Jesus? When was the last time you got out of your comfort zone in living for Jesus? Maybe it's at work, speaking with coworkers, or living differently there. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's around family. Maybe it's around friends. I don't know what it might be for you, but when was the last time you got out of your comfort zone and living for Jesus? Are you living courageously for Him? 
Are you living fearlessly with Him? Are you speaking out about the things are, that, that are, are for God and for His glory? Ultimately, are you boldly living a life for Jesus, no matter who's around and no matter what's going on around? Y'all, I'd ask you this morning, just to walk through these keys of success. Before we can talk about the mission of making disciples, we must take an inward look at ourselves. Before we look at doing the charge that God has given to us, we need to make sure we're living it out. You can't leave a legacy just with your words. Your actions will be what stays behind you. So I would encourage you to take a look at your life this morning. In what area and which of these keys to success do you need to focus on this morning? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, once again, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you so much for technology. I thank you for the ability to be able to use it. God, the opportunity to, to, to still somewhat um, communicate with each other. Lord, I pray that people would watch this, would listen to this. God, I pray that we all would take an honest look at ourselves. Lord, none of us are living out all four of these keys perfectly. All of us need you. God, help us reflect and be honest with ourselves. God, even though many people are just listening to this at their house right now, or they may be listening to it on the road or through a podcast, however, God, help us stop and pause and see how do we need to respond this morning? Do we recognize we need your help? Do we recognize we need wisdom and understanding from you? Do we recognize that we must be obedient in every area? And do we recognize that if you're for us, we can live fearlessly and courageously? God, we thank you so much for your word. Help us respond to you. And ask all this in your precious and your holy son's name. Amen.